Ephesians 1, 15 through 23. For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints? And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward you who believe according to the working of his great might? That he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. This is the word of the Lord. All right, good afternoon to HMC. My name is Pastor Tim. It's, um, hope you had all good Thanksgiving. Excuse me. <clears throat> Sounded like from... But the people I got to talk to before service, it sounds like a lot of people had a good Thanksgiving. Um, we, I pray that this worship and as we uh, continue our worship with preaching and communion and all these things that we do on a Sunday basis, let's not just rush through. I know it's our tendency to get it done, but at this time, let's also once again slow things down in our hearts and go to God in prayer, asking him to speak to us, to open our hearts. Would you do that? Would you bow our head? uh, Join me in prayer once again. Let's just open to God at this time. He's here. Hmm. And he's delighted in your worship. So, Father in heaven, as we continue our worship, Lord, once again, we turn to you in prayer and we ask your grace this time as we mean to receive your word. God, I need your grace to speak your word humbly and faithfully and clearly and with love for your people. And Lord, we, as your people, confess our need for your grace once again. For without it, our hearts are often prone to wonder, and our hearts and minds are prone to be distracted. Help us to be open and be receptive to your word. So Lord, help us not only to be hearers, but also to doers of your word. So at this time, may the words in my mouth and meditation of our hearts be pleasing in your, in your eyes. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So we're continuing our study through Paul's letter to Ephesians. And today we're finishing up the first chapter. 
And I pray that the Lord has been ministering to you through our study through Ephesians. And the theme of this chapter has been so far that we've been looking at the, what, what the blessings of being in Christ. We are so blessed, whether we feel like that or not, in Christ, we're so blessed through his election of us, his, his forgiveness and redemption, and he marked all that blessing by the Holy Spirit. It's done. It's completely sealed. We're secure and we're safe. And last week, we came to this concluding section where Paul begins to pray. In light of all the blessings we know and we have in Christ, now he begins to pray for the believers to actually know it and to experience it in their lives. And not only is it true in our head, but it may be properly registered down in our hearts that we may know that our God is our Father. He is with us. And He will take us to the heavenly home. And we saw that when we pray, we should pray. We, we focused on the nature and posture of prayer. That when we pray, pray with the Bible open. Right? Don't just say your request and say your words to Him, but also hear from Him. But we also looked at we should pray for one another, and we also pray to know Him better and better, right? Uh, and be honest with Him because He already opened up to us. So, but now as we con uh, conclude this section, the question is, but what exactly do we need to know better about God in our daily lives? And when we pr try to pray for one another, like how much information do I need? Right? Sometimes when you try to pray for one another, you have no idea what they're going through. Right? How much do I need to know? And how much is it enough? And what knowledge do I need? When someone's going through, when someone's trying to, uh, or studying for an exam, or, or thinking about career change, or thinking about uh, uh, starting a family, or dating, or all these things, how much do I need to know? What knowledge do I need? What should we pray for? And, in, and for this question, Paul, Apostle Paul brings together three truths that we should pray to know and experience by the Holy Spirit. And that's what we're going to focus on in our time. Three things, three headings, is that we need to know the hope of God's call. We need to know the glory of God's inheritance. And we need to know the greatness of God's power. And under these headings, we're going to see what God has for us. The first thing is we need to know the hope of God's call. Look at me in verse 18. The first half says, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you. And notice that Paul is talking about the hope that has origin, it's God's calling, right? It's a hope that's produced by its calling. What kind of hope is that? And it's the hope, and it's, it, he's talking about the assurance and confidence that we belong to Christ. It's that hope he's talking about here. In Romans 1.6, it says, You who are called to belong to Jesus Christ. The hope that we have, we, are, we have been called by God to belong to our God. Right? How did God call us? We saw this earlier in chapter 1. We knew many, many times. Uh, for example, one uh, four, five, it says he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. He predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ. Another thing um, was that he, he redeemed us, right? And he, he sealed that for us, right? 
And what Paul reminded was, reminded for us was that we are not here on earth by accident. Sometimes we feel like that, but no. And we're not left alone here abandoned. Oh, I'm, I'm the one who needs to figure things out. I need to make a way for a living, to make ways to make a living or make my destination with God, to, my, to make relationship work or fix with God or other people. No, what we see here is that God chose you. He's with you and he's leading you. That's what we saw. Our God is a sovereign, gracious, and loving Heavenly Father who made us, who made you his sons and daughters through Jesus Christ. And he sealed that. We never lose our identity, not because we're so sure about it, but because the one who chose us and called us is sure and confident. And he will never lose that. Right? On that ground, when we talk about Christian hope, we're talking about certainty. We're talking about absolute certainty. We never lose it, regardless of how you feel, regardless of what's going on in the world. Uh, on the way here, Ubering today, I, the, the driver was a Russian person who actually came here seven years ago, and he was sharing with me, when I shared with him that I'm, I'm a pastor, I don't openly always brag about it. I, I'm a pastor, what, what can I pray for you? I don't do that, but he asked me, oh, what do you do? Because I was reading over my sermon, and he, he asked me to pray for him, even though he wasn't Christian, pray for Russia. My parents are here. And I, I'm just, heart, his heart is torn. He wants to go back to Russia. He used to go to Russia three times, four times a year. He can't do that. It's not safe for his children and for himself. Uh, what, sometimes whenever we go through and see things like that, and when, that things like, when things like that happen in our lives, is it sure? Is our hope really certain? But what God showed us is that we know who we are and we know where we're going because we know who we belong to, right? Not by my own choice, not by my own might, my work, but because he worked for me and we are his children and he will take us to the heavenly home. Matthew Henry uh, was an English pastor back in the 16th century. Uh, he's well known, he's so very beloved by a lot of <laughs> pastors for his uh, one volume all Bible commentaries. It's like a really good devotional thing. Like it's not as technical as other commentaries. But uh, his father is um, Philip Henry. When he met and fell in love with this lady, Catherine, who later became his wife, they, because of the 16th century in, in, in England, they had a, a, nowadays we can't understand, but back in their time, it was a big obstacle to their plan to get married, which was Philip came from a lower uh, class in the society uh, than Catherine's. And Catherine's parents didn't like that, didn't approve of him. And uh, one day, Catherine's parents ask about uh, Philip, and it says, do you know where he's from? Do you know where he came from? Do you know, you know his past, his background, his class, what they do? And this is what later Mrs. Henry's answer answered. He she said, "I don't know where he's come from, but I know where he's going." That was the answer. And Matthew Henry and they happily got married. THMC in Christ, your worth, your value, is not determined by your past failures, nor by your present struggles, 
nor by your uncertainties that you face and you sometimes feel about your life from time to time, or it's not determined by what you had growing up or what you didn't have growing up or what you do have now or what you don't have now. None of these define or determine your worth as a believer, as sons and daughters of God. We all come from the same past before God. We fell short of the glory of God, period. We all failed. We're all failures. I feel like a failure. Yeah, I'm a failure too. I feel like I, I, I failed God. Yeah, we all failed God. That's what the Bible says. The Bible says nowhere in the Bible do we ever find God says, all right, Tim did well, whereas, I don't know, somebody else messed up or somebody else did a really great job, but Tim messed up. No, we all messed up. We all fell short of the glory of God. And yet somehow we are all sons and daughters of God. How? By God's grace. By what he did when we didn't deserve it. By him taking the cross for us when we had no room to think about him. When we didn't want him, he came to find us. That's who we are. and That's how we became who we are in him. So Christian hope is not wishful. Christian hope is not uncertain. It's sure and confident. And we need to know that better. Better than just knowing it in our head. It has to strike us to a point that we feel humbled. We get humbled by this reality, by this truth, to a point that we are able to say, I know, who cares about how I feel about myself? Who cares about what other people have to say about me when God says this about me? I'm a child of God. No, I failed. I failed. I failed. No, you're a child of God. That's the starting place. That's the ground of your hope. That's the ground of your identity. Not from what I have done or what I didn't do. It starts with God. Amen? It starts with what he did. And that's the hope of God's call. And remember this hymn just wonderfully sums up in great truth about our security and hope in Christ, which says, my hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. On Christ, the solid rock I stand. All other ground is sinking sand. On this ground, we put our hope. We stand on our hope. We stand on this identity. That's the hope. Second is that we need to know the glory of God's inheritance. Look at me in verse 18, second half, which says, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints? Also, in the saints, in the Greek, you can also translate that as among the saints, right? Paul's talking about the inheritance of God's children. What inheritance we will receive from God with, along with all the saints one day in the kingdom of God, before the face of God. You see, Paul is shifting our eyes, our focus from the past. Now he's shifting our eyes to the future, right? God's call was talking about the past, what he did, what he accomplished. Now he's shifting our eyes to see what he will complete what he started, he will complete in the future with the inheritance. The promise of the inheritance in God as children is all about, listen, this is all about God's commitment and faithfulness to make it happen. 
His promise, he will make sure to bring it happen. We know this in Philippians 1, 6. It says, I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. At one time, 1 Peter in 4, Apostle Peter talked about this, about inheritance. He says, to an inheritance that's imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, focus this, kept in heaven for you. It's being kept in heaven for you. Not that you have to keep it, not that you have to preserve it, not that you have to work on it to make it happen, but it's being kept in heaven for you by who? By the one who called you, by the one who put that hope in you, and he will bring it to completion on the day. He adopted you, he saved you, he called you, and he says, I'm gonna make it happen. Till the end, you're with me, you're secure. Your past failures, your present struggles, your uncertainties about future, it's okay because I am your God. I am your Father. And this is a hope, this is an inheritance that's waiting for you. The promise of God's inheritance will not dissipate, will not just disappear because God who promised us, He's committed and He's faithful. Just think about that for a second. He is committed. Isn't that what we think about all the time as Christians? I need to be committed to Jesus. I need to be more committed to him. I need to be more faithful to him. Whereas God says in the Bible, says, I am committed to you. I am faithful to you. Whether you are faithful, whether, whether you're not faithful or not, I am faithful to you. I am not letting you go from my household. I am keeping you safe. And it's Paul's prayer for us that this should be our prayer, not only for ourselves as individuals, that we should do this together as a community. Pray for one another, right? In times of uncertainties, in times of challenges and problems and issues that we face, that's a little bit bigger than us or a lot bigger than us, pray together. Lord, help us to know and see what future awaits for us, what you have, what you hold for us in the future. And may we grow to know more and more of our God who promised us the great inheritance in him. He's fully committed. He's fully committed to making it happen. So now as Christians who know the fullness of the glory of the future, so how do we live? How should we live in the here and now? We can't just focus on the past all the time. We can't always look ahead and, okay, future's coming, future's coming. We have to live here, right? We have to live here. How do we do that? That takes us to the second point, which says, which is about the greatness of God's power. We need to know the greatness of God's power. It's a fairly long passage, but let me read it for us. What is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the working of his great might that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named not only in this age, but also in the one to come. Amen. Chapter 1 ends with great emphasis on the power of God. This is where Paul leaves us with the crescendo of his who God is. This is who God is. Yes, inheritance. Yes, the hope of God's call. But the power. This is what we need to hold on to as a Christian. In order for us to live our lives today and forward. 
God is a God of power. And this is going to be a repeated theme. We're going to see that multiple times, again in chapter 3, and again in chapter 4, a little bit more in chapter 5, Paul is devoted to telling us about the concept of God's power. You know, this is a little principle when you study or read your Bible on your own. When you come across a word that's repeated in the Bible, there's an importance of it, right? And that's how we talk, too. We want to emphasize it. What do we? We just repeat ourselves, right? Knowing that sometimes we don't like ourselves. We don't, re, we don't like to repeat ourselves. We have to do it, right? Because so important. Paul is going to do that. So this is a little background we need to understand. In the city of Ephesus, there was always some form of spiritual practice to the deities. They, they, would, they would use uh, pagan notions of cultic and magic powers. There's a, a little book called Papyri, and they, they would use... Uh, it contained a, lines after lines of spells, what to say, how to say it, when to say it, and, they were, and this, these practices will be out in public on a daily basis. People will go to deities and do this together, right? And there were specific spells and actions to be said and done in order for them or for you to experience sort of the heavenly illumination. Now, you want to see the future, right? You want to see, like, I don't know. Uh, do, you want to, do, you know, do you want to know your future? Say this spell exactly, and at this time, right, do this, then you will get it. In a form, this is a form of seeking self-power, right? I do this, then I get it. I know it, right? But all depends on how I do it, right? And, and to, in people in the 21st century living in the city of L.A., this sounds absurd. Like spells? Like, like Harry Potter? Kind of, kind of like that. Yeah, it's, it's like that. It's ridiculous. But those magics or spells were actually really, really tempting to many believers in the city of Ephesus. You know why? Because, you know, spells may work, may not work, but they promise always one thing. If you do this, you will get the results right away. You will hear from the deity right away. Right? Whether that's yes or no, this matter. But you will know the answer right away. And how often do we want that? Right? Sometimes as, as a Christians, we pray to God for years. And then we look around and see that, oh, hey, they said some spells and they hear back from God, their, their God or deity, right away. Right away. <coughs> Excuse me. And in comparison to these practices, the Ephesian believers might have felt that they're their faith in Christ may be powerless or, or weak. Right? What, what, what does it do? How often or how many years do you have to pray for? Whereas they just pray, they just do this and they just get the result right away. Right? And especially when we come across a situation or moments, we want an immediate answer. Family sickness or my sickness or poverty injustice, homelessness, all these things that are going on in the world. Don't we want the immediate answer? I wish things would be fixed tomorrow if we pray to God. And sometimes that desperation leads us to say and question or ask, what exactly do I have to say in prayer that God will answer my prayer? I asked the question before. What do I have to say? We live in this fear and wanting for an immediate answer. 
This past week, um, I got a call from my dad at 2 in the morning because they're in Korea. And he, he called me and he said, hey, you got to pray for your mom. He should have started with why. He just said, you got to pray for your mom and just dropped my heart. Like, what's going on? Is she okay? I said, oh, she's getting ep- appendectomy. Like, okay, well, where is she, right? And, and I, everything together, she handled it really well. She felt pain. Um, she went to doctor. It's Korea. You get to see a doctor anywhere. And, you know, they're, on, like, they're everywhere, right? So you get to see a doctor. She, she, went to, she immediately went to see a doctor, and the doctor right, rightly di- diagnosed her and then you know, collected all the information about her health right now and then sent her to the bigger hospital, and the bigger hospital immediately admitted her, and she got surgery, all in the span of, like, what, an hour or two? So she got surgery, everything's okay, she's fine. I I talked to her, I saw her face, great. But as I thought about her age, she's not getting any younger. And the fact that she got surgery, this is what, sixth time? Like she was under full anesthesia? And the fact that I'm thousands of miles away from my mother, I just think I can't be there, I can't help her in times when she needs me, when she need some kind of assistance, I can't be there. It just haunted me down a little bit. And I felt like this whole situation is out of, out of my control, literally out of my control. I can't do anything. Who likes that? I don't like it. It's out of my control. I feel powerless. I feel useless. A little bit hopeless, too. I can't really do anything. Let's say, this, I know this is a ridiculous example, but let's say somebody approaches me and say, about your mother, by the way, I have a medicine that will make her younger and healthy like in her 20s. I'm like, you're a scam. I'm not going to take it. But in my heart, at least, I wish that would be true. Right? I wish that would be true. That would be the case. I wish there would be a pill that makes everybody just young and healthy again. Right? In our desperation and a weakness, we seek help and a power from wherever we can, even from places we know that will not fix our issues and problems. That's what desperation does to us. And don't we all have a place like that in our lives? Where we want the immediate answer, where we feel hopeless, we feel powerless. I can't do anything about this. I just have to watch and see what he will do. You can't do anything. I can't do anything about this. You might be seeking an immediate solution, seeking self-power, or self-sufficiency apart from God. And in moments like that, we ask, along with Ephesian believers, is my Christian faith, is there any power in the Christian faith? Does the Christian faith make any difference in my life and in this world? Does it do anything? Does it make any difference? Can it do anything? And friends, the Bible's answer is, Yes, it does. There's no spells. There's no particular action you have to make. But God is at work. He is present. And he will make it happen. And it's not just a power, a force that, you know, we see along with other stuff, but it is the power. When he is at work, Nothing on earth or heaven above can ever stand against him. This is the power we're talking about. And he's not a slow God. For those of you praying for years, he's not a slow God. Sometimes we're just focused on the prayer itself, 
How long do I have to pray for? How long do I have to pray for this God? No, if he wants it, he's the God who made the whole universe with his own words. He can make it happen in an instant. But if it's, not, if it's delaying you, if his answer is no, he's already at work through that. And as, as much as it might not be comforting to you at all, that's the reality of who he is and his power. And here's what's amazing about our God. He is the God of immense power. He is the creator of all things, sustainer of all things. He defeated death. He defeated Satan. He is the God of all. And he doesn't use his power to make us feel powerless or helpless. But he uses power, the same power that created the whole thing, defeated the death, and he's using it to empower us, to strengthen us to sustain us, and that's how he uses power. You see, this is what Paul is talking about, about God's power. It's not just big and vast, but he's using his power for the benefit of his people and also in relation to his church. Look at me in verse, <coughs> excuse me, verse 19 says, what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe? His power toward us who believe. In 22 to 23, and he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. God's power is not against you. God's power is for you and it's towards you. The more we reflect and know of God's power, the more we are to know his love and care and protection. That's how he uses power. That's who he is. In the Gospel of John, chapter 6, we come across this section where disciples of Jesus were on a boat. And in an instant, uh, there was a, st- a rough storm uh, just starting before their face. And a lot of them are experts in handling the boat and all that. So they were just busy trying to make the con- ma- uh, bring the control back uh, of the boat. Right? And then right in the midst of their struggles and trying, they see Jesus coming to them, but this is, they're in the middle of the sea. Jesus walking on the sea, and rightfully, they all freaked out, and they're all terrified of his power. Well, what are we going to do? Now we're, we're, our, our boat is going to get all upset, and we're going we're gonna to die, and then Jesus is walking on water. We're hopeless, we're powerless. And, you know, if you think about it in a human perspective, I don't know, maybe I messed up, but as I was meditating this week, I thought, this is Jesus' momentum to say, you better listen to me, right? But no, that's not how Jesus uses power. Jesus takes this chance and opportunity to show to to them and reveal to them of who he is and how he uses his power. This is what Jesus said. It is I. Do not be afraid. Instead of saying, If you don't listen to me, I can break you down, which is true. If you don't follow me, I'll get rid of you. I'll blot your name out of the book of heaven. You could say that. He said, don't be afraid because it's me. And that's how I use my power and that's who I am. And Jesus loved them. Jesus taught them. And Jesus died for them. And Jesus empowered them. And his power gave them hope and peace. He is with me. He is with me. THMC, is there a storm in your life that you're up against? 
that's bigger than you? You want the answer? You want the fix? But you feel just powerless and weak? There's nothing I can do about this. I'm stuck here. Is there a situation that makes you feel so urgent that you feel like you can't trust God, but you have to take these matters into your own hands and make it happen? It'll be just a lot easier than to pray. Bring that, bring all of that to God and hear his voice. The same voice he says, it is I, do not be afraid. Because the God of power is using the power to give you peace and hope. In the midst of storm, when you feel out of control, when you have no control over your life, he is right there with you. Do you know this God? Friends, do we know this God? Do we know this hope, inheritance, and great power? Do we know this? Or perhaps one author titled this book, Your God is Too Small. Is our God too small in our heads, in our minds, in our life? Devote yourself to prayer. Lord, lead me. Help me to know this hope, to know this inheritance, and to know your power. And as we do that, for ourselves, but also for one another, I pray and pray that our community may grow and to see all together who he is. It is I. Do not be afraid. Come to him. And he will give you hope and peace. Father, we thank you. That you are our God. That you are our God, our, our Heavenly Father, who has us, who saved us, who's with us who's committed to us. Or at this time, Lord, we bring ourselves to prayer. We bring our stormy hearts and souls to you. Lord, would you grant us grace to find you in the midst of the storm and hear the voice It is I. Do not be afraid.